Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Chai Pod, where we have conversations on the arts, culture, and society. I'm your host, Brother Dash, and in this episode four of the Chai Pod, we are joined by Sheikh Abdullah Azimi, founder and director of Sakina, for a talk on women, society, and human nature. This episode four of the Chai Pod. Greetings and welcome again to another episode of the Chai Pod. As you heard in our introduction, we are joined uh, by our first guest uh, from earlier this season, Sheikh Abdullah Adhemi, uh, on a topic that I am sure uh, will resonate with uh, those of you in the audience. So uh, once again, uh, Sheikh Abdullah Adhemi, thank you for uh, joining us on the Chai Pot. Thank you for having me. So what I wanted to touch on in in this section in this session some of your thoughts on issues between men and women i remember growing up and going through college of hearing this phrase you can judge a society by how it treats its its women from a historical perspective what does a statement like that mean to you in terms of your analysis and your experience bismillahirrahmanirrahim This is an excellent question. On the basis of this question, actually, no society has done well. And um, this is essential for the Muslim to understand because a lot of the questions that are posed or put in front of Sharia, so to speak, to address are perennial cultural and anthropological realities that spread across human history. And I think the central issue that, I guess if we encapsulate all of that tumult into one, one idea, it would be the assertion of male authority and the curtailment or the control of potential female anarchy and female desire. Any question you ask is going to be is going to have to be plugged into the system of the navigation of male authority within the domestic sphere, within the social sphere, and that is done the moral code that emanates from that, whether you're talking about the Code of Hammurabi, um, 3,500 um, years before Christ, peace be upon him, whether you're talking about the laws of Plato, about half a uh, century before um, the time of Jesus, peace be upon him, um, or whether you're talking about the, um, the stipulations and the scriptures that are documented or recommended in Ihya al-Umadin of Abu Hamad al-Ghazali. It's the same, we we take a a particular idea which we inherited from um, the Aristotelian uh, model um, of um, the, the Aristotelian and Confucian perspective on the nature of woman uh, being um, being incomplete, being an incomplete male. This is not at all um, uh, something familiar to the Islamic tradition. But 
some of us have said, wow, that, that, that seems to make sense. So maybe some of these fabricated narratives could be expounded upon by equally egregious philosophy that, and myth that has been uh, inherited from the historical, um, I guess you could say myth, Mm-hmm. Um, the historical self-image of, of the male. Um, and incidentally, this, this goes back into um, the, this myth of the power of woman, the, 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 the need to control her desire, the need to, uh, um, the need to uh, curtail her uh, quote-unquote anarchy or sedition against male power. When, and, and unfortunately, this sets up a horrible... Uh, ethos, uh, a horrible spirit in inside the home, uh, trying to navigate this. Um, all traditions tell the man that he is the head of the household, even right. pre uh, prehistoric cultures, uh, pagan cultures. In um, uh, it, whether you're talking about Mesopotamia, whether you're talking about Africa, whether you're talking about Peruvian culture, whether you're talking about Aboriginal culture in America, Australia, um, anywhere. Every society establishes, even uh, the the ideal republic of Plato or his laws, um, the, the male is the head of the household. The Quranic, uh, the Quranic notion is to actually tell the male that he is the qawam. He's not, so to speak, the head, but he is the pillar. Hmm. So the pillar is what holds up everything else. And the qawm, the, the, the generic name for men, is derived from the ability to stand up, the ability to be a pillar, the ability to, be, uh, to hold up everyone else, to serve everyone else. Uh, and this notion, actually, fits into the, um, and ironically this wasn't brought up uh, in, in, other, uh, in other writings that we're talking about. Sure. Um, uh, but Islam said this is, this is something that can actually be uh, tapped into the goodness of the man. The male is built, instead of going the Aristotelian route and saying the man must dominate everything and the female is an incomplete and aberration of a male, Islam said, "This is um, the male actually is built, if you will, created, innately desirous of being of service to his society, of being, uh, being, being a repertoire of energy, of chivalry, of virtue. This is a a man lives actually to nurture his family, his children." Um, uh, there's, there's, there's nothing more fulfilling than the man coming home and carrying something that he knows will bring joy to his family and children. Um, there's, there's nothing more fulfilling than the man going to work feeling that he is actually contributing something constructive to society. Uh, of course, this is uh, a, different, uh, a different ethic when you're talking about uh, different modalities of going to work, whether you're going uh, and um, up a proverbial corporate ladder, right. and hence you have a career, um, and career, of course, from the Latin to run, and hence you're in a rat race, and, and all the figurative uh, expressions that actually uh, make the man devoid of purpose. Mm. Because if he's in a rat race, 
it's not very ennobling. It's not, it doesn't make you feel like you're contributing something constructive, but if you're working as a reflection of your profession, and the, 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 the Islamic concept for that is muru'a, or personhood. Right. And personhood is ultimately embodied in desiring to be chaste and desiring to be of service to others through a constructive profession. This is the built-in nature of the human being according to the Quranic model. There's no original sin, there's no evil woman that is wanting to bring you down and seduce you and corrupt you. And There's none of that. There's the innate nature of the human being that is built and driven to do goodness. The female, on the other hand, is the protector of the unseen. And these are all Quranic ideals. The, the, the Muslim audience would be familiar with them. And so for brevity and, and more conciseness, we, we skip the, the specific Quranic reference and the verse and, and all of that, just for the fluidity of the conversation. So the men are to, to, if the men are supposed to be the pillars and the maintainers and the, the upholders and the servants of the community... Uh, what are the women supposed to do? The women are supposed to do it to be in the Quranic in the Quranic model, the protectors of the unseen. Unfortunately, in the exegetical commentaries, the protectors of the unseen is only limited to again influence based on the Aristotelian influence the Judeo-Christian influence, mm -hmm. the Persian influence, all these influences permeated Islamic uh, homilies and exegesis. Um, and this is, this is sad, actually, because by this influence, we moved away from the Quranic ethic that, that says this is, this is not what it's supposed to be. This is n the world does not revolve around the man. But that's how the commentary goes on what are the protectors of the unseen. The protectors of the unseen, the righteous, believing, devout women who love their Lord and honor his covenant, are supposed to protect the secrets of their husbands, are supposed to protect the properties of their husbands, are supposed, and before their husbands, if they're not decreed to be married, they're supposed to do the same for their fathers and brothers and uncles. Now, the reason this, this is lacking and, and obviously so, is what if I am a young woman in an all-female household? I don't have uncles, I don't have fathers, I don't have grandfathers, I don't have sibling brothers, and I'm too young to be married. How do I function as a protector of the unseen if God says that this is my purpose in life? As a female, if I'm created female, there's nothing me about me that is evil, there's nothing about me that is crooked, there's nothing about me that is demonic. I am created as a righteous, believing woman. Incidentally, I have the same capacity for chastity and profession as the man because moru'a is a gender mutual term. And so I also desire to be of benefit and value to my community. The difference is the Quran gives me an additional responsibility and that is to be the virtue the barometer of virtue in society the what keeps the men upright what keeps the men chaste what keeps the men anchored in society is supposed to be this notion of the the women 
uh, nurture their environments and mother their environments regardless of their marital status. So I guess you could say it is, uh, it's two-dimensional. The, one of the aspects is women, and, and women know this very well, anyone who has sisters or who has... Who, who's, uh, who's blessed with a righteous wife or, or who has um, um, female colleagues will notice that there's a particular mothering quality and this mothering and nurture is not something that um, is negative. It doesn't mean uh, that my womb has to be fertile in order for me to mother. Women mother everything from the time they're four-year-old little girls and the care and the attention and the, that's a wonderful quality that should be nurtured and should be, uh, and should, and should be um, built up in the female so that she realizes that her role is that anchoring presence that uh, paradoxically her job in society is to rock the boat. Her job in society is to make uh, statements and comments and objections to the authority structure, to the standing order, that moves it towards higher character, that moves it towards higher virtue. Why is that a paradox? The paradox, the, 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 the other side is, before God, based on all traditions, religious and cultural and historic, the women are not ultimately responsible for the consequences of the boat rocking. Really? If you think yeah. about it, because yeah. if the men are the kawam, the men are the maintainers of society. And so what's, if the woman rocks the boat, of course, rocking the boat has different, uh, different um, is, is not synonymous with nagging, is not synonymous with um, uh, being whimsical, uh, it's not synonymous with being difficult uh, or, or what have you. Okay. Uh, deliberately, just to make the point, because I'm a rebel and I'm a feminist, and that, that's, that's not what a, what a feminist is supposed to be. Uh, a feminist uh, is, is someone who's, um, if, if you define it as somebody who's, who's driven to benefit uh, female energy and to nurture female energy, and this is going be very interesting for a lot of people. We're, we're all feminists in this sense. All men should be feminists because they would want to work to nurture female energy and acknowledge um, and, and understand at least something about the magical world of female emotion and desire, yes. You know, gasped in parentheses with an exclamation point because we're not conditioned this way. In our religious upbringing, we're not conditioned this way in our cultural upbringing. And I'm talking about us here in America before I'm talking about us as Muslims, whether we are indigenous to this land or whether we come from uh, cultures that, are, that have migrated to this country. Now, is this a conditioning process or is this a, something that is innate? There are people who hold to a particular view that you know, women... Uh, are created a particular way. This is how they are. Men are created a particular way. This is how they are. And they'll never understand each other. Um, they'll never be able to truly relate to each other. Um, it, it, you know, the whole women, Mars, Venus, I don't even know which one is from Mars and which <laughs> one is from Venus. I forget. Um, but that whole kind of thing. How, how do we juxtapose that? Uh, I guess nurture and nature, I guess, is, is, is kind of the 
question that I'm getting at. There's, there's definitely, after everything we've learned as a human society, there's definitely something to be said uh, about, uh, in, in summary, about both. Uh, there is a nature that is an imprint, as the Quran calls it, an, an imprint that cannot be changed. An innate, ultimately good, virtuous, honorable, pure imprint in the human being. That cannot be changed. That can be sullied, that can be debased, that can be elevated, that can be based on how this precious human essence navigates through the world. So ultimately, it really is this human nature, this imprint that is virtuous, that desires to be upright, that desires to be, and really it really is, is uh, remarkably empowering to both men and women to actually be told, you are born pure. You are born desiring chastity. You are born with a sense of shame. You are born with a sense, and these are wonderful things. They're not, um, they're, they're not something to be, uh, to cover or to obliterate as our culture does, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But we must understand, particularly as Muslims, the reason Western society, not just in America, but everywhere, this is historic reality again, seems to want to obliterate the the good and the virtuous and, and the modest uh, in, in the fashions and in the, in the cultural mores and, and so forth. Not because they're godless, secular, hideous people. Honestly, it's not the reason. But there, if you look at, at Western history and particularly the history of um, not so much the Reformation but the Counter-Reformation, the, the Catholic Reformation, the Catholic response to the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, in one word, this, the tying or the, the, a religious person being synonymous with a prudish person or senseless person or a person easy to fool or a person... One of the revolutions that the Protestant Reformation made is not only to challenge the ecclesiastical authority over the word of God, but it was also to challenge this particular aspect, this particular um, uh, definition of what it means to be a virtuous person. And so when the, the Catholic uh, department has to respond to being reformed, it is forced to address for the very first time in its history its own ideals about the suppression of emotion, about monasticism, mm. about asceticism. And, these, and the Quran said the Christians imposed upon themselves and the Jews as well, in, in whether it's Kabbalistic mysticism or the Karite tradition or what, they imp- the Quran says the Jews and the Christians imposed a monastic or ascetic order upon themselves out of the love of God. This is something we never asked of them, God affirms. And this is something they innovated, believing that it would get us close, uh, get them closer to the heavens. 
We, the Lord affirms, have not made this mandatory upon humankind, nor were they able to uphold the monastic ideals that they innovated for themselves. Mm. And so this is a, a, um, a, a gentle nod to the Jews and the Christians of the time of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, as well as for all time, obviously, because the Reformation would happen much, much later, much less the response to it. This is a, a, a kind of a nudge, you know, come on, fellas, let's loosen up a little bit, you know. This is, um, and incidentally, the remarkable thing about the tirade, the, the medieval tirades against Mahomet, or Muhammad, peace be upon him, were sparked preeminently by the fact that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, talked openly about sex. Hmm. And so the Europeans get, get get a glimpse of this, and they're like, oh, you, you know, uh, Father, uh, there's this, this prophet man, um, a little, you know, yonder beyond the sea, who's, who's talking about sex. And, oh, what a horrible man. Let's slander this man. Let's defame him. Let's bring down his image. Let's uh, relegate him to lunacy and leprosy and idiocy and, and all manner of, um, of, of nonsense because... If our people become enchanted with the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, it'll be the end of the world. And, but ultimately, it is not a theological revolt that the Jews and the Christians, particularly more the Christians, actually, of Europe, carried a virulent attack against the character of the Prophet Muhammad, وسلم, peace and blessings be upon him and his blessed family primarily not against his theology to begin with. And this is something the Muslims need to, need to affirm very well. Not against his theology. The first thing that was addressed against the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was his sensuality, was the fact that he allowed his companions to engage uh, in what is human and natural and, and exciting and fun. And, and that's why when the, when the Salaf, when the predecessors asked about what manner of companion, what manner of human beings were the companions of Muhammad, peace be upon him. And they said, uh, they were described as Imam Bukhari, for example, relates in his adab, in his compilation of virtues and, char- and good character, they were described by the contemporaries who saw them and knew them and lived with them and ate with them. The first thing they said, the prophet, the companions of the Prophet Muhammad were not dead people. They didn't walk around like they were dead. Mm. They were alive. They were full of life. They, as a matter of fact, would fight with each other, fight each other with watermelon peels. They would pelt each other with melon peel inside the mosque. But when matters needed to be serious, they knew how to be men. This is the the magnetic and infectious energy that the Muslims spread around the world before they even talked, before they proselytized. As a matter of fact, it is a historically established reality that the Muslims did not proselytize. They just walked in the land and knew how to live and knew how to be truly liberated from all the shackles of culture and fraudulent nurture of society and and fraudulently imposed models of ethics that that make you prudish and stupid and senseless and without emotion so that if you choose to marry 
Um, there's, there's no way that, that any woman would tolerate s s such callousness. Not because you're not a righteous man or anything else. And this reality was affirmed even by people who were not interested in Islam. Uh, uh, Saint Peter Abelard, one of the most eminent um, uh, polymaths of, um, of, of Christendom, uh, 16th century, I believe, uh, Peter Abelard was so overwhelmed, and in his, uh, in his journals, actually, this is documented, people can find it in the libraries and in the old classical writings, and Peter Abelard, in his diaries, when he, when he wrote of the, of the oppression, and this is the key here when we're talking about gender and society, how the preeminent characteristic of Europe was actually complete, the diametric antithesis of what the Prophet Muhammad and the Quranic ethos were calling to in the social domain. Peter Abelard was so constricted by the, uh, what he called the hegemony and the oppression of the theological order and the social order that he said and he wrote, actually, he, uh, a Muslim may miss this because they won't think that the heathen is a reference to themselves, <laughs> but that is indeed what he meant. Peter Abelard said, um, I don't remember it verbatim, of course, but I do remember the heathen part. Sure. That I'm sure that in, uh, you know, at least in the English translation of his, uh, of his diaries, uh, he said that this, uh, this atmosphere is too restrictive. I prefer to live among the heathens and pay them a tribute rather than live in Europe. Mm. Because I know that such a people are good-natured and predisposed to righteous Christians that I know they would leave me alone. That's all. I, I just want to be left alone. I don't want anything else. But in order for me to live free from religious oppression, from dogma, from, from prudishness, from unrealistic expectations of what a human being is, to be, is supposed to be like, you know what, I'm going to migrate towards the heathen, to the, to the land of the heathens, meaning the Muslims, right. and pay them a tribute and be very happy to be left alone there because at least they'll respect my religious beliefs and they'll leave me alone. How do we begin to talk with our co-religionists when they talk about bent rib, crooked rib, that sort of thing. Uh, you're not allowed to lead prayer. Uh, you wear the, the kimar because your hair is too alluring. It, the best place for you to pray is in your home. I mean, how do we begin to have this? And these are other Muslims that are saying of this course. and they're bringing out the Quran and Sunnah and all, all like this. How do we begin to have these, these discussions with people? MashaAllah, that, that's really opening up various universes simultaneously. So again, let's plug each of these back into the Quranic model for society. Sure. And that ultimately, I really think this is the humane way to do it. Unfortunately, when, what, makes this, what makes these issues so contentious and so painful is not that the Quran or the Sunnah, the authentic Sunnah, <laughs> uh, does not address, or that Sharia does not have a response, or that the synthesis of the scholars is lacking. It's really none of those things. It actually ultimately has to do with how do we navigate the equation of the cosmic order for the world that God had decreed for humankind, 
uh, as stipulated in the Quran and as revealed in prior books as well. Uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Sure. But ultimately, what makes a calm discussion of these issues around tea um, uh, is actually the fact that there are egregious and sometimes criminal transgressions and excesses in the wielding of power or domestic authority. So it's not that the feminist discourse is extremist or the political environment is um, not conducive within any particular society, but we're concerned about us here in America, in the United States, in the West, uh, in general also. The, the political environment is conducive, but there is too much rage and too much baggage from our Western heritage. And not to mention when, when you're Muslim, you bring your Eastern heritage and the baggage from that. And that's why it becomes ex excruciatingly difficult to have a calm, humane discussion about these issues. Number one, you asked about the, the Quran stating that a woman was created from a rib. Actually, the Quran states nothing about a rib. The Quran states that the male and the female were created from a single soul. At the beginning of the chapter entitled Women, incidentally, that God created the female and the male from a soul, uh, a unique human soul or human essence. Um, it, that's one of the ways in which the exegetes took that verse. The other way to take this verse is that God created the soul, which is Adam, and from Adam created, uh, from Adam created his mate, uh, peace be upon both of them, uh, Eve, or the mother of all living, as she is called in all Semitic traditions. Now, the notion of the rib is actually in the Bible. The notion that she was taken from his rib uh, is in the bi in the biblical literature. The Quran has nothing about the rib. There are uh, some fabricated narratives and erroneous narratives. Example, uh, very interesting. Uh, th this is the pervasiveness of culture, mm. and we're, we'll we'll be very blunt sure. about everything. Not that's you know, what not, we're about not, on not, the tripod. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. Riyadh al-Salihin, okay? <laughs> okay. Riyadh al-Salihin, two-volume compendium of narratives about what, um, what the Muslims need in terms of his life and, uh, and how to conduct ourselves based on Islamic morals and, and the like. And unfortunately, it cites the hadith, a woman is created from a crooked rib. And it claims that it is agreed upon. Now... There is, you have to be a stickler here. Mm -hmm. It's not about, you know, does it really, it makes a tremendous difference because you are saying, قَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ before it. Right. And when you say, إِنَّ الْمَرْأَةَ خُلِقَتْ مِنْ ضِلْعٍ أَعْوَجٍ And then you say, مُتَّفَقٌ عَلَيْهِ A woman was created from a crooked rib. Close, uh, close quotation marks. Agreed upon. Mm -hmm. That means, Imams, Bukhari and Muslim, the most authentic, the most rigorously authenticated book after the Quran, Sahih al-Imam Bukhari, and following him, his student Muslim, the second most rigorously authentic book, agreed upon, I promise you, and the listening audience, go to any edition of Sahih.
Please join us for the next part of our conversation with Sheikh Abdullah Athami on episode 5 of the Chai Pod under the heading Women, Authentic Hadith, and Gender Roles. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Chai Pod with me, your host, Brother Dash. Remember, you can subscribe for free to the Chai Pod by going to iTunes, of course, keyword the Chai Pod. Or you can visit our website, thechaipod.com, where you can also subscribe. Episodes are released on the 1st, and please tell your peeps about the Chai Pod. Thanks again. I'm Brother Dash.